Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Bethan, and we have a very, very special guest with us this week. Mm, we are joined. So excited. We are joined by Adam from our favourite true crime podcast, the UK True Crime Podcast. Welcome, Adam. Hey guys, thanks for inviting me onto your show. You are most welcome. We are so pleased to have you here. And we um, we have just recorded an episode where we've guested on on your show, and um, it's a fascinating case. So you can catch that. Uh, you can catch it now. I think it will be out now. So um, so yeah, Adam's a- a- along for the ride, and uh, we can't wait. So Adam, for those that aren't familiar with the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast, just tell us a little bit. Who about Who doesn't show. know about the show? Everyone well, this knows is true. About it's a show. massive show. <laughs> think of me like the um the ian beale being around for so long that's why people know the show that's about the only reason why so i produce a show every week i think i've done 277 episodes now so since 2016 lasts about half an hour um it's just a range of cases tend to be less well-known cases and it's just me so i don't have the banter you get on this show guys Neither do we. I was going to say that's that's too kind of you and not true. <laughs> um, forced banter, isn't it, Bethan? I think um, it's when I write something into the script and it's like, oh dear. Or or I'll do that and then push Bethan to say something really stupid. Um, yeah. So Adam's show is the first show that I. It's the first podcast actually that I ever listened to, true crime or otherwise, and um, it got me one into podcasts and two into true crime podcasts, and um, I then recommended it to Bethan, and we were were then inspired to come up with Seeing Red. So if it wasn't for Adam, Seeing Red wouldn't exist, uh, which some of you might be happy about looking at some of our most recent reviews. But um, but yeah, we are here because of Adam. So thank you so much. And also a big thank you for your support that you gave us, because when we first wanted to start a podcast, I remember messaging you and asking you and you were really, really supportive and gave us a lot of tips and ideas. So thank you. What you're really saying is you heard my podcast and thought, it's got to be better than this. Do not say that. No. <laughs> no, we loved you and we wanted to emulate you. And we still won't have achieved that that level of success. Exactly. So. Have uh, we brown-nosed enough, do you think? Yeah, God. Fishing for compliments <laughs> for what, Beth? And Jesus. Uh, okay, doke. Well, let's, uh, let's take a moment to thank our most recent Patreon supporters. And I'm going to name-check them this week because a couple of weeks oh, ago I when we last to. did it, Beth and completely fucked it up and said everybody's name no, wrong. Didn't. You did. Um Wollstonecraft, that Wollstonecraft, which I don't know how you pronounced anyway. Uh, so we have Sean Jobbins, Chelsea Dale, Donna Cox, Lauren Harvey, Steph Thompson, Chobber, Astrid, Daisy Angarad, Lauren One Eight Two, and I think they, I think the H is silent. Angarad, it's Welsh. It's Anne Harrod. Anne Harrod, fine. I knew you'd get me on one of these. Lauren182, Heather Mitchell and Sharon Gorman. Thank you so much to all of you. Honestly, it makes such a difference to us. And um, we have loads to offer over on Patreon. So if you want to check us out, if you want to support us in this way, uh, it really does help with the running of the show. It it ensures that we're around for a a long time, not just a good time, as I always say. Uh, So where can they find us, Bethan? Yeah, so thank you so much, everybody who signed up to be a patron and to all of our patron supporters. You're amazing. If you did want to join these guys and you'd like to find us on Patreon, you can either just Google Patreon Seeing Red True Crime Podcast or you can head to patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. There's loads of different tiers that you can sign up with. So as Mark said, there's all different things that you get for your money. So you'll get some stickers and a signed postcard when you sign up as well as bonus content. Don't be sarcastic, Mark. <laughs> it's, I think the bonus content's amazing. The postcard's cool. The stickers are okay. He's, you're really selling it to people now, aren't you? No, I, the bonus content's <laughs> immense. We have a, a Patreon-exclusive fortnightly podcast uh, over there. It's have... not really fortnightly at the moment, but it will be eventually once Bethan's Mark stops fault. going away on holiday all mm. the time. Um, you get a bonus episode. We do blogs. We do competitions. In fact, Adam's book... So we'll give a little plug to Adam and his book. Um, Next month, I think it is in April, we've got a competition coming up to get some signed copies of some books. And one of the books included is Adam's Gone Fishing. So that's quite exciting. Not to be confused with the Geordie bloke who used to be on Casualty. It's about a serial killer. 
And if you um if you're a supporter of Adam's show or if you start listening to it and you love it, there, there's loads of bonus content over on Patreon on on Adam's Patreon page. And if you sign up with an annual subscription over there, you um also get a signed copy of his book. So um it's it's a fantastic book. We've both read it. So uh, do do check it out and check out Adam's show. So um I know I know our listeners love a long introduction so I'm going to make it even longer and cover off one of our sponsors now and um then I promise we will get on to today's uh, case which is fascinating. Uh, but before we go there let's take a moment to hear about the first of today's show sponsors which is Noom. This week we head across the pond once again, so I think we've done America a few times over the last couple of months. Uh, So we're off to the United States to take a deep dive into a tragic double missing persons case, which garnered huge media attention and even went viral on social media around the world in the summer of 2021. So this is a really recent case and um, it's it's the the case of Gabby Petito. Um, So I know, Bethan, you, you were familiar with this and you said you've been following it really closely, haven't you? Yeah, it is a case that really caught my attention. I'm not really sure the reason why it, it really gripped me at the time. Um, but Gabby and her story, and I'm not going to give anything away for anybody who doesn't know the case so they can hear what you're going to tell us all about. The whole thing, the the t- twists and turns and the roller coaster of this case, it just really, really hit me. And every time that we got news or got information I was straight away on social media looking at it and finding it really, really fascinating and so, so upsetting. Um, Yeah, it's a really, really interesting case. And maybe because it's so recent, it's so fresh in my mind, I don't know, but it really sits with me. Yeah, we we don't tend to cover cases that are this recent, but... Uh, yeah, I wanted to make the exception for this one. So, Adam, I know uh, you are UK focused with your show, um, but had you heard of, of Gabby Petito's story at all? Yeah, it's it's one of those cases that just breaks through, isn't it, into the consciousness over here. It's one of those rare cases in the in the US that I've been following really, really closely. So, really looking forward to hearing your take on it. So yeah, it's a it's a sad yet all too familiar tale, one which spans hundreds of miles across multiple US states, and it's a tale of a bubbly, energetic, and adventurous 21-year-old travel influencer and social media personality who set out to share her life with the world and succeeded, albeit under much more tragic circumstances than she'd probably intended. Gabby Petito was born on March the 19th in 1999, and she was raised in Blue Point in New York. She was the eldest of six children and stepchildren, and she was described by those who knew her as a happy, energetic and creative person. She was a popular girl who was always smiling. From a young age, Gabby was a talented performer and artist who craved the limelight, just like Bethan. In 2013, she and her stepbrothers appeared in a music video to raise awareness about gun violence in response to the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting. With her free-spirited soul and unique personality that was described as magnetic, anyone who ever had the privilege of crossing paths with Gabby felt drawn to her. She was beautiful, happy and just great fun to be around. Gabby also showed a passion for photography, travel and adventure. As a youngster, she simply could not bear to be stuck inside. She always had to be on the move, creating, performing, exploring and seeking out new experiences and adventures. As her father later reflected, she'd just want to take you places. She'd say, come on, let's jump in the car. Let's go check it out. Let's go to the beach. Let's listen to the ocean, look at the waves, walk on the sand, watch the sunset. That's exactly what she was. And I know we we always deify victims of of true crime. Uh, We just naturally do it. But she just sounds amazing. And I love people like that with that free spirit and that real zest for life. I think it is really easy, isn't it, to to look at somebody and, and focus on all those good parts and when and obviously when you remember someone that's what you want to remember and you want to focus on and if you're writing an obituary you're only going to write the good things but I do feel like with Gabby you can almost see that all shining through all of her social media and people talking about her and all of what she liked to do you can see that that it's not an exaggeration. No I don't think so and we will go on to see uh, that, that that was a slight veneer, the, the social media, as it is for all of us. And um, that there was more of a, a, a real person that sat behind that. But but yeah, she she was just this amazing young woman 
on on the um on the cusp of life which is i know one of those uh clichés that adam just loves with everything to live for <laughs> but but what i what i love when i read about her is what always comes through to me is that energy that she brings to what she does it's that real energy that surrounds her yeah and it was it really was an aura that surrounded her and she was this infectious person from September 2017 to January 2019, Gabby attended high school in New York. It was here where she met her first serious boyfriend, a young man named Brian Laundry. Looking back now, it's easy to see why Gabby and Brian were initially drawn to one another. Like Gabby, Brian was an artist with a free-spirited personality that seemed to match Gabby's perfectly. He was also a keen outdoorsman like Gabby, with a passion for yoga, art and adventure. By all accounts, the pair were absolutely made for each other. During the early stages of the relationship, it was said that Gabby and Brian were besotted with one another. Their friends would later reflect that, although the couple clashed fairly frequently and had regular fallings out, they would always manage to reconcile and move on quite quickly, and that's pretty normal for that kind of age. From the outside looking in, it certainly seemed as though the pair had a perfectly happy and healthy relationship. After she graduated high school in January 2019, Gabby moved in with Brian at his parents' home in Florida, where she soon found work as a pharmacy technician. At first, Gabby seemed happy in Florida, but soon she did become restless. She had much bigger dreams, aspirations to travel across the United States and to become a successful influencer and travel blogger or vlogger, and soon felt a strong urge to pursue those dreams for real. So it didn't come as much of a surprise to anyone when in the summer of 2019, just as the COVID-19 pandemic was really starting to sweep its way through America, Gabby gleefully announced to her family, friends and Instagram followers that she and Brian were quitting their jobs and embarking on a cross-country road trip in order to pursue their dream of becoming successful travel vloggers and influencers, which, you know, I want to almost take the piss out of because... You can't set out to be an influencer, but actually I'm like old. So that that is a real thing. And I think, wow, amazing for her that she's got this real purpose, wants to share this with people and actually knows that she could make it a viable business too. So uh, yeah, kudos to both of them. I think, um, yeah, I'm... I'm not as old as you and I still don't really get it. <laughs> no. I think it's all a bit mad nowadays that people can decide to be an influencer it's just see it's just bizarre to me I just think in my I'm like an old person I get a proper job and then I realize that actually is it really any different to a restaurant critic who would write an article in the paper every Sunday it's just that the times have changed and I have to try and like make myself not think like the old person that I actually am because I'm basically a granny aren't I, I like my blanket you do you my hot, hot chocolate in, in my knitting yeah when, so. she's not, when she's not out clubbing in Ibiza um <laughs> at that bar do you remember that bar from the Peru 2 episode what was it called oh my god and I was like oh I've been in there yeah. bar Amsterdam where you yeah, just uh, you put your, your drinks order in and get a side of coke and ecstasy um anyway oh, yeah you do but do you remember I put those photos on social media of me yes. at like what 1920 crazy now look blonde at me. hair I know now look at you now Mrs. So boring. Um, oh. Mark, you can't take the piss out of somebody wanting to be a travel vlogger when you're out of the country for 50 weeks of the year on holiday. This is true. I can't really, <laughs> I can't really say anything, can I? And I document some of it. I am loving that Adam is... <laughs> Yeah, I love that Adam's going to call you out on this a lot because a lot of our listeners have as well. Calling me out for the little bitch that I am. So, um, yeah. anyway, we, we can't <laughs> go off on a tangent and make ourselves sound older than we actually are. Um, but yeah, I kind of get that she wanted to become a travel vlogger and an influencer and, and great, that's really good for her. And after less than a month of preparation and planning, this couple excitedly embarked on a cross-country drive from New York State all the way across to California. And along their journey, they visited visited Las Vegas, the Yosemite National Park, Pismo Beach and other points of interest. Not that there's that much of interest in the middle of America, but there you go. Yosemite draws me. I would find Yosemite really interesting. Yeah, lots of good hikes there for sure, which is boring to me. 
Not content to simply live her dream, Gabby set out to share it with the rest of the world via her Instagram page and, of course, via her YouTube channel as well. And each day that the pair spent travelling, Gabby would create a daily vlog of the day's events, where they were, how they were feeling, what they were doing. Basically, anything that seemed relevant would be made public to her followers. Their first cross-country road trip was a huge success. Gabby and Brian were immediately hooked and they then resolved to transform their van life adventure into a full-time transient lifestyle. Without any hesitation, Gabby purchased a white Ford Transit van that had been specially adapted to accommodate life on the road. And with everything in place, Gabby and Brian intrepidly traversed the length and breadth of the continental United States in several trips over the two years that followed. So they would, they were only covering the US. Maybe they didn't have passports, but they covered the US uh, on lots of multiple trips, uh, visiting lots of different places over those two years. Pretty much all of Gabby's social media content portrayed her and Brian in upbeat, happy and gracious moods as they documented their numerous hikes, morning yoga practices, mealtimes and tours of their various makeshift campsites as they travelled from one picture-perfect location to the next. To Gabby and Brian's combined thousands of Instagram and YouTube followers, they were the perfect couple. Two young, beautiful, free-spirited soulmates deeply in love and living a dream life of travel and adventure. However, for all of their attempts to portray perfection and happiness, this carefully created dream life that Gabby and Brian were broadcasting to their followers was merely a smokescreen. Behind closed doors, when their cameras were switched off, it wasn't long before some deep and ugly cracks began to emerge in their relationship. Countless hours spent travelling thousands of kilometres on some of the most remote roads in the USA in a tiny little van began to take a heavy toll on the pair and their relationship began to unravel rapidly with toxic consequences. But Mark, I suppose if I just jump in here, we shouldn't be surprised. You think what Christmas is like for families in the UK when they're all closed in together for a few days. Um, it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough living that close to someone for that long. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. But unless you're the sort of couple who can live that life, to suddenly be jumping into, especially at such a young age as well. They'd only been living together for a very brief period of time when um, Gabby got itchy feet and wanted to embark on these travels. So they probably weren't used to spending much time together. And yeah, they're enclosed in this van with all these expectations of an amazing life. And that's not the reality, as we all know. So um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Adam. It's um, It's not surprising, really, that that it became a bit fractious in, in their relationship. And it also made me think of um, Peter Falconio and, and Joanne Lees, who embarked on a similar mm. adventure, this time in Australia. And uh, the roads are quite similar, I think, in, in middle America and, and parts of Australia, like the Stuart Highway. These are massive roads of nothing. And it must be incredibly boring. There's not anywhere to really stop off other than to get gas. And uh, yeah, it really made me think of, of Joanne Lees and Peter Falconio and, and maybe maybe some arguments that they, they potentially had. I'm saying nothing else. Uh, we'll save that for, for another time, I think. On August the 12th in 2021, Bethan always goes mad when I say it like that, in 2021. 2021. 2021, <laughs> six weeks into another of the couple's trips across the US in the state of Utah this time, a mountainous sub-region of the western United States. Local police responded to a 911 call by a concerned member of the public in the town of Moab, who claimed that a couple, later identified to be Gabby and Brian, were engaged in a bitter domestic dispute, and this was pretty ugly. The caller told the dispatcher they had observed Brian slap Gabby twice across the face before angrily driving off. An additional witness to the assault further described the incident to police, saying that Gabby and Brian were locked in an aggressive row and that Gabby had repeatedly punched Brian in the arm. So this was this wasn't just Brian beating Gabby up, it was and it wasn't necessarily self-defense, because we'll go on to hear that Gabby started this, although we don't know the intricacies of this relationship. It could have been coercively controlling, there could have been lots of abuse and, and, and she just felt so frustrated that she had to lash out at him first. I don't know. Um, but this witness observed 
observed that that it looked as if Brian was trying to leave Gabby and take her phone with him. And then flustered and distressed, Gabby eventually climbed into the driver's seat, then moved back to the passenger seat and asked, why do you have to be so mean to me before they both drove off at speed? So, I mean, a a really sad uh, domestic incident here. And I know we've possibly all seen these in public. And uh, Bethan and I have talked uh, a lot recently about whether we would go over to something like this and and intervene. And I think the general consensus for us is that we would be more likely to do that now, provided we knew that we weren't putting ourselves in serious immediate danger. But I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, Adam. Would Would you intervene in a situation like that? Honestly, no, I wouldn't now because I covered a case in my podcast a couple of weeks ago couple going past in a taxi saw a similar incident on the other side of the road ended up with the poor woman being murdered and the man being um seriously hurt i just wouldn't intervene i wouldn't intervene i'm afraid and it's i feel terrible saying that but it's just the reality no i i totally get it and i also think Bethan and I have discussed it loads and we've said that we would intervene but when push comes to shove i'm not sure when instincts kick in whether i would or i wouldn't See, I don't think I'd intervene, but I would definitely be on the phone to the police. I'd want to stay in the vicinity and report, but I don't think I'd intervene because I don't think that I would be much help. I feel like a petite, like, I was going to say middle-aged woman. I don't feel like I'm middle-aged yet. Jesus Christ, I was about to say middle-aged. But I just don't think that I'd be particularly any actual help. I couldn't physically restrain somebody. I couldn't really get involved in that side of things. So I think I would, I don't think I'd like intervene unless it was the the attacker person has moved away and I've gone to the victim potentially to try and comfort them. But I definitely would be ringing though. And I, this is what we were talking about, wasn't it? It's like when people witness stuff and they don't even phone the police, they just carry on. That boggles my mind. And I think that's possibly what I mean. And I'm sure you, you would uh, hang around Adam and, and maybe call the police if oh, the situation was right. I, I think I mean that as well, I suppose. Yeah, I would. And I've done that numerous times, but I wouldn't actually physically get involved anymore because the stakes are really high, aren't they? Yeah, I get it. People will pull a knife and before you know it, you've, you've been the victim of a horrific attack yourself. I totally understand understand. So um, officers from the Moab City Police Department identified the van near the entrance to a nearby national park and they conducted a traffic stop at this point. So they'd located Gabby and Brian and they found Gabby sobbing hysterically in the passenger seat and the officer's body cam footage, which has since been made public and really captured the public's imagination, captured the subsequent conversation that the police had with Gabby and um, her voice was really shaky and she was struggling to catch her breath in between panicked sobs and um, she really wasn't very coherent but this is what she tells the officer and this is word for word yeah I don't know if some days I have really bad OCD I was just cleaning and straightening up back in the van I was apologizing to him and saying I'm sorry that I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD and sometimes I can get really frustrated not like mean towards him just like I'm in a bad mood and I was just saying I'm sorry if I'm in a bad mood I just I had so much work I was doing on my computer this morning and I just now quit my job to travel across the country and I'm trying to start a blog I have a blog so I've been building my website I've been really stressed and he doesn't really believe that I could do any of it so we've just been fighting all morning and he wouldn't let me in the car before So you can really see from that how distressed I think Gabby is and she's really struggling to form a coherent sentence there. So Gabby initially tried to downplay the physical altercation that had been witnessed back in the town that day. But after the police officer pointed out marks on her arms and face and told her to just be honest, she did tell him that Brian had screamed at her to just shut up before violently grabbing her by the face, which had caused her visible injuries. And Brian Laundrie's conversation with the uh, with another officer in attendance was also captured on body cam. But unlike Gabby, who was so distressed that she couldn't really speak very clearly, Brian came across as cool, calm, collected, relaxed. And he was even jovial as he cracked jokes with the officer and tried to play down the situation. When asked what was going on, Brian chuckled, shrugged and said, she's just crazy. When pressed for more information, he told the officer, I said, let's just take a breather and let's not go anywhere and just calm down for a minute. She was getting worked up. And then she had a phone and was trying to get the key from me. I know I shouldn't push her. I was just trying to push her away to go, let's take a minute and step back and breathe and see. She's got me with a phone. 
I do I do struggle, don't you, Mark? I struggle when I hear him say she's just crazy. Labelling someone crazy is always a huge red flag, right? Yeah, always bothers me because I hate that kind of language. We need to move away from that when we talk about mental health. And she's talked about OCD and there might be other mental health issues at play. That doesn't mean someone's crazy. And that is just so uh, trying to change the narrative immediately that I am dealing with some crazy woman and I'm having to do everything I can. And I think that was Brian appealing to this male officer of surely you've been in that situation with a crazy chick who is just flipping out at me and I'm trying to calm down and I think it's trying to get some understanding and and sort of empathy from the officer to get buy into his bullshit story for sure but yeah it's very bothersome typical abuser behavior isn't it yeah absolutely like such gaslighting of like oh well she's just crazy like she always does this and she's even said it herself like She's there apologising to him in case she's in a bad mood. Like, what the hell? Yeah, there's so much with what Gabby says that is um, really bothers me for sure. And it's almost, I get the impression that she was sort of perhaps getting a little bit obsessed about keeping the van tidy and um, whether that was actual OCD or, or, or not. And that had caused a bit of an argument. But she was having to apologise for trying to sort of keep this van tidy, which... You know, when you're in a little van travelling across America, it's going to become a mess and it's going to be hard to keep on top of it. And she was doing her best and Brian was berating her for it rather than supporting her. So he's a complete bastard. Gabby freely admitted to the officer that she had hit Brian first and asked the officers to not separate them. In their follow-up report, the officer wrote, At no point in my investigation did Gabby stop crying, breathing heavily, or compose a sentence without needing to wipe away tears, wipe her nose, or rub her knees with her hands. So she's clearly in distress here. The officer went on to say, The male tried to create distance by telling Gabby to take a walk to calm down. She did not want to be separated from the male and began slapping him. He grabbed her face and pushed her back as she pressed upon him and the van. After talking to Gabby and Brian at length for more than an hour, the lead officer went back to his squad car to have a private conversation with his colleague and both of the officers were very clearly conflicted about how to handle this delicate situation. They verbally acknowledged to one another that Brian and Gabby had technically caused physical harm to one another and that the grounds to make an arrest on one or even both of them were certainly there. But after a lengthy debate, they chose to accept that neither Gabby or Brian wished to press charges after the incident and that this factor was probably evidence enough that the incident was simply a minor mental health episode on Gabby's part rather than a domestic violence call out, which under Utah state law would have required an arrest. So I think there's an element we'll go on to talk about the police initial response to this I think there's an element of the police being quite willing to downplay what happened because it would have necessitated a lot of paperwork on their part if they classed it as a domestic violence call out as one of the officers at the scene noted in his report both a male and female reported they are in love and engaged to be married and desperately didn't wish to see anyone charged with a crime As such, the police decided not to make any arrests or write up any charges against Gabby or Brian. However, and this this was pretty good, I thought, despite Gabby and Brian both expressing that they did not need to be separated, the police decided to separate the couple anyway to give them both time and space from one another in order to calm down. So they arranged for Brian to spend the night in a motel which was nearby and left Gabby to stay alone in the van, which I did think was a bit harsh. I'm not saying all women need to be cared for and wrapped in cotton wool, but out of the two of them, Gabby's the more vulnerable. She should probably be in, in the motel and uh, Brian in in the van. I don't know what your thoughts are on that both. I don't know, because the van is their home. So you're letting her stay somewhere that she feels more comfortable. It's more familiar. And you're asking him to remove himself from the situation. So I personally think that's the most fair option. I kind of disagree with you that she's not being looked after as much. I feel like actually she's got some, not home comforts, but kind of home comforts where they're living at at that moment. Yeah, that does make sense. What do you think, Adam? I just think it's almost an impossible situation for those officers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's um, they've got to make a decision pretty quickly and that's difficult to do. So maybe Gabby said that she wanted to stay in the van and, and didn't want to be in a motel. Could be the case. Gabby and Brian spent the next several days apart. On August the 17th, five days after this incident with the police call out, Brian left Gabby by herself and took a return flight from Salt Lake City to Florida. 
It was later alleged that he stayed at his parents' home, then picked up some travel supplies from a rented storage facility as he and Gabby had plans to continue their trip before returning to Utah. He then would return to Utah. During this time, Gabby moved out of the van and stayed for several days in a hotel near Salt Lake City International Airport. So maybe she'd had enough of the van at that point. And uh, yeah, she checked out of that hotel on the 24th of August last year. Once she left, Brian returned to Salt Lake City and the pair reunited to resume their journey in the van. Then, as if nothing had happened, Gabby continued to update her blog and post happy snapshots on Instagram of their perfect life together on the road. Gabby and Brian's social media followers would have been none the wiser to the fact that things were only getting worse for the couple and that the tensions between them were becoming rapidly violent and heading towards a deadly outcome. Gabby Petito called her mother the next day on August 25th and told her that she and Brian were travelling from Salt Lake City to Yellowstone National Park and then on to the Grand Tatons in Wyoming. Later that same day, Gabby published a post on her Instagram account, which consisted of photos of herself taken in front of a butterfly mural outside of a restaurant in Ogden in Utah. And this would be the last verified time that Gabby was ever heard from. And you can you can find her Instagram page. She now has 1.2 million followers, which wasn't the case when she was alive, uh, but lots of people uh, followed her. It's a, an in-memory-of uh, Instagram account now. And you can see these uh, photos that she published on on, uh, on that day, on the 25th of August. Beautiful photos. Um, I'd really encourage you to check out her Instagram because this, I know that it was a bit of a veneer as to what was really happening, but these are some genuinely happy moments in Gabby's life and it's worth taking a look. So two days after Gabby's last verified post on Instagram, uh, on August 27th, Gabby's mother received a text message from Gabby's phone, which made her instantly concerned. It read, can you help Stan? I just keep getting his voicemails and missed calls. Stan was Gabby's grandfather and the wording of the message was suspicious because Gabby never ever referred to him by his first name, as you don't with grandparents and parents. Oh my god, that would be weird. Sometimes I call my mum Maureen if if I need to get her attention, which she loves. Um, So another text message to Gabby's mum from, once again, from Gabby's phone, sent three days later, now on August the 30th, five days after Gabby's essentially disappeared. uh, This message said, no service in Yosemite. So it was a really blunt message, no service in Yosemite. Clearly enough service to be able to send that message. But obviously, because there's no service, it needs to be a four-worded message. That's how it works, apparently. Um, Gabby's mother expressed uncertainty about who sent these messages, and she remained certain that it wasn't Gabby. Then, on September the 1st, Brian arrived at his parents' home in Florida, unannounced, driving Gabby's Ford Transit van, and he was all alone. He parked up the van and went immediately inside his parents' home and refused to re-emerge. He refused to speak to anyone outside of his family and claimed not to know where Gabby was. On September the 6th and 7th, Brian and his parents went camping at Fort DeSoto Park in Pinellas County. There was a clear urgency to this trip. They left in a hurry and then returned promptly the following day. So this is all a bit weird. And then by September the 11th, Gabby's family had not heard anything from her now for more than two weeks. And they were really beginning to get worried at this point, as I'm sure you can understand. Because don't forget, we, this is last year. We've all got phones and the internet and um, we, we keep in touch with family and friends all the time now. But Gabby was also taking her role as a travel vlogger and in influencer really seriously and she hadn't posted anything on her Instagram account for that whole time that she'd not been heard from so I think you know that was equally as worrying as as the lack of contact that would have been more personal to her family and friends. All attempts to press Brian and his family for answers were falling on deaf ears and it was becoming increasingly clear that their trip had gone horribly awry. Awry? Awry. Gabby's, I can, it's one. It's like <laughs> lure, this. lure. This is our new pestle and mortar. It's pestle and mortar. <laughs> it's lure, lure, and it's husband. Uh, do you have these? It's gone horribly awry. Do you awry. have these words, Adam, that you write and then you just can't even pronounce? No, school, school helped me a lot, Mark. Ah, uh, okay. See, that's where I missed out. I, ne- I never went. So, um, yeah, but poor me. I'm blaming my uh, Birmingham origins because there's a lot of words that Brummies just can't really say. Do you know what I will say, though? 
I read a lovely thing on social media recently that said you should never take the mickey out of someone for not being able to pronounce a word because it shows that they learned it through reading. Isn't that beautiful? And I thought that was really beautiful. And I'm still going to take the piss out of you because I think it's hilarious to do so. But it did make me think. I remember when I didn't know that the word tussled, like as in tussled hair, I'd always said tousled because I'd never heard it said. I'd only ever read it in like a fairy tale about a prince or something. And um, yeah. And let's be honest, our language is like really fucked up. It's the third hardest language to learn in the entire world. Little fun fact for you there. Let's get back to um, Gabby. Uh, So Gabby's mother filed a missing persons report with the police at this point. And after reviewing the circumstances, the police immediately expressed grave concern for Gabby's well-being and they launched an urgent missing persons investigation. And I'm sorry to kind of go off on another tangent. Oh, she's off on one. Last week's episode, though, where where I spoke with Ellie, um, because you were on holiday, but we were talking about that I I love... um, Gabby's mum saying like this doesn't doesn't sound like Gabby it's not how she'd write and I do think that that's really important especially nowadays where we send lots of messages and stuff if you're ever unsure and you think that something's not right um definitely because like this was the case with Carrie father and her mum had gone to the police and said you know this isn't her messaging this isn't her sending these messages and actually, you can really tell a lot about somebody. And I think fair play to Gabby's mum because she's kind of gone, no, this isn't this isn't right. It's instinctive, isn't it, I think? And it's like handwriting. In days of yore, handwriting would be specific to the individual or should be. And if someone had tried to forge that handwriting style, that would become pretty obvious. But I think now, yeah, in terms of how we, how we write and abbreviations that we make, how we sign off a text as well, those are all things that, that can uh, raise uh, red flags, as as I know I mentioned Stephen Port before, but in that case too, there were um, red flags raised as a result of the suicide note that I, I don't know if it was Anthony Walgate, it might have been his, and um, his mum was or his stepmum was just like he just doesn't write like that. It just didn't ring true. So yeah, completely agree. So four days later, Brian, so this is four days after the investigation began, after Gabby had been reported as missing, Brian was named as a person of interest, no shit. But actually, he wasn't arrested at this point. Um, Nevertheless, his parents hired a lawyer and based on legal advice, Brian remained silent and refused to talk to anybody about the case. Almost from the off, local and national media outlets caught wind of the story and began reporting on the ongoing investigation. And the story struck a real chord with the US population. And within a couple of days, Gabby Petito was trending on Twitter and going viral on social media. Meanwhile, police set up a surveillance operation outside the Laundry family home and began monitoring Brian's movements. Officers clearly observed Brian leave the house on September the 13th and not return until two days later on September the 15th. However, very shortly afterwards, they realised that they had made a mistake. It had not been Brian returning to the house at all, it had been his mother. Brian was no longer at the Laundry family home, so it was definitely him leaving on the 13th, but it wasn't, as the police mistakenly believed, him returning on the 15th. He'd not returned, so he's no longer at that family home, and his whereabouts are now unknown. I find that so interesting that they can make that mistake, and it does make you wonder, was she doing anything and behaving a certain way, walking a certain way, or wearing something that was meant to put them off the scent i'm i find that really really interesting. i hadn't even thought of that i think yeah could completely uh could have been the case could have been that she was leaving at night time dressed in a hoodie and um with her hair kind of swept back who knows um i think you could be right there absolutely on september the 16th in a letter read by the petito family's attorney at a news briefing held by police gabby's family begged the laundry family to help in the investigation Fighting back tears, Gabby's mother pleaded, Please, if you or your family have any decency left, please tell us where Gabby is located. Tell us if we are even looking in the right place. All we want is for Gabby to come home. Please help us make that happen. We haven't been able to eat or sleep and our lives are falling apart. And I just so feel for them at this point because not only have they got that horrendous worry that their daughter is missing and police are gravely concerned for her whereabouts and her well-being, but you've got a family and you've got Brian that 
was with her and he's just refusing to speak and that family has got lawyered up and is closing ranks and that is just so I thought it was just so so cool. I think your point there's right there Mark isn't it they're lawyered up that's that's as probably the reason why they didn't speak at all isn't it yeah, I, I understand it. I, it's just, yeah, I think it just rings alarm bells and it's just, it's so, so cruel, isn't it? But I understand, I do understand why why they didn't speak. That that would be the advice. It's a family, you know, a mother to a mother talking and trying to just say, just give us some answers, yeah. talk to them. And I get it. You've been told by your lawyer not to speak to the police, but surely the lawyer's also saying you need to give them whatever information you have to prove your innocence well, I, if that's what no. you're trying to do right here you know it's just uh, but yeah from like a, a family pleading and the way they say that where gabby is located it just shows that they've given up hope that she's alive it for me she it, it reads and and sounds like we just want our daughter's body home and that's heartbreaking. There may have been a tiny ray of hope, but I think they were trying to brace themselves, certainly, for the inevitable, of course. So, yeah, incredibly sad. So this public plea for cooperation by Gabby's parents failed to have the desired effect, and the Laundry family cruelly maintained their code of absolute silence for the days that followed and continued to refuse to speak to the police in any way. And then a few days later, after Brian had gone missing, so four days after he'd gone missing on September the 17th, he was reported missing by his parents, who claimed to have not seen him since he left their house to go camping on September the 13th. So that's allegedly what he told them. And again, under the careful advice of their attorney, the Laundry family refused to cooperate with the police in their effort to find Gabby or Brian, insisting they knew nothing about either of their whereabouts. By now, the news and social media interest in the story had spread like wildfire across the world and the case rapidly sparked significantly more public interest and news and social media coverage than any other missing persons and murder cases that were unfolding around the same time. And this unusually heavy public interest was theorised to be attributed to several factors of the case. The refusal by Brian and his parents to comment on Gabby's whereabouts, along with the sheer abundance of public content on Instagram documenting their lifestyle, and the interest in Gabby and Brian's story was further intensified when that body cam footage of the Utah traffic uh, stop was released to the press. Because all of this, the, the body cam footage and the social media content, just really brought these individuals to life in, in the same way that we would... Uh, look at celebrities I guess. The decision to publicise the footage was initially only intended to jog the memories of people who may have seen Brian and Gabby at some point on their trip and it was therefore kind of desired to encourage those people to come forward. This is a body cam footage I'm talking about. However, most of the people who viewed the footage saw it as clear evidence that Gabby was in a highly distressing, toxic and potentially dangerous situation at the hands of Brian Laundrie. And also, Moab police were heavily criticised for failing to arrest Brian or just to do more to protect Gabby. Now, this was 2021, so forgive me for what I'm about to say, but several TikTok videos posted by unverified witnesses claimed that they had crossed paths with Gabby and Brian on their trip, and a number of them claimed to have witnessed violent or strange behaviour from them. All of these very public media releases provided a lot of avenues for public discussion and this was predictably followed by regular everyday internet users posting their own opinions, observations and theories on what had really happened and of course we're doing that here uh, later on when we know what's happened but well, I know we're kind of part of that. While some posts on social media regarding the case were helpful in the investigation, many of them were characterised by police as insensitive, unhelpful, monetized, and motivated by increased exposure or just outright misinformation. And I think that's a difference. Sometimes I feel bad about covering these people's cases uh, in lots of detail, but we, we only really do that when it's, it's at an end or many years after a disappearance or a murder that might remain unsolved. But we always leave some time until events have pretty much unfolded. And I do, I do have to say, I have to have a bit of a rant here, that people going on the internet, on TikTok, on YouTube, and theorising at a time when there's an ongoing investigation... Uh, is not helpful and neither is it helpful to to make stuff up on TikTok or YouTube 
during an ongoing investigation on a high-profile case just to get extra followers. And a lot of that happened here, which is very sad. Thoughts? It's not particularly new, though, is it? Like hoaxing, like hoaxing and sending information to the police that's completely untrue has always happened. It's on a much larger scale when you've got a million followers who are following you on whatever TikTok does. I don't know. I thought they just did dances on there. I didn't know people could share proper information. So, like, it's it is a bit scary, but it's just annoyingly shitty human nature because we see this so often. What are your thoughts on it, Adam? In terms of of uh, going into detail about people's lives and, and deaths oh, quite it's often really tricky. as well. So as somebody that does a true crime podcast, of course, I'm very, very aware of the families. And anything I say, I'd always like to be able to, if the families heard it, be able to, they wouldn't be offended by what I've been saying. That's the first point. But, but secondly, um, if people are telling lies um, and clearly saying things for self-promotion I, I get that's a problem but but I've also got a problem sometimes with um, the police forces who don't give enough information um, to the public there's plenty of people out there who are very capable of doing some amazing research and sharing with, with the police and I think that's going to we can see that change over the next 10 or 20 years that more and more police forces are actually going to be encouraging people to be having these conversations and doing their own research because in under-resourced police departments across the world they need that help is what I would suggest. Yeah, you look at the documentary Don't Fuck With Cats and it was a group of amateur online sleuths who helped to solve the case. There's lots of examples where something could really help because these people, you know, you look at both of us, we share a co-author, Chris Clark, he knows his stuff. He can do, he has the time and the resources to sit there and do some research and Somebody on, an, like you said, an underfunded police force who's got 17 cases and they're juggling everything, working extra hours anyway and not being paid for it, they potentially don't have the time to sit there and look. But somebody could be really supporting the police in that way. And we, we have that formally with, um, what do we call them? The uh, police officers that aren't real police officers that volunteer? PCSOs? No, they're, re- they're real. But um, what uh, Nisha Patel-Nasri did... Um, it's just evaded me, but people that volunteer for the police, essentially. And yeah, I, I think you're right, Adam. I think it's a really interesting point. And Don't Fuck With Cats is a great example, Bethan. Um, and I do I do see it actually changing over time because we're such a joined up world now and uh, we have social media and it's so easy to appeal for information uh, and, and get responses to people that are in a particular place at a particular time. So yeah, I think it'd be um, interesting to see how that develops over the next 10 or so years. Absolutely. So it seemed as though the wider public had just as many clues and leads of investigation as the police did, which we've kind of um, alluded to there. And the story was threatening to become trial by social media at this point, though. And this then culminated in angry protesters gathering in large numbers outside the Laundry family home, holding up signs and loudly demanding answers on Gabby's whereabouts. And I think you can only really compare this to the Free Britney campaign where they would turn up at court. And um, it was kind of a bit of a scenario like this outside the Laundry family home. And a candlelit vigil was also held for Gabby in her New York hometown at this point. Elsewhere in the online world, the unusually huge volume of media coverage in the case was cited amongst some commentators as a typical example of missing white woman syndrome. In other words, the overemphasis of news about individuals based on their race, gender, age or appearance. And in comparing Gabby's case to others, several popular social media commentators noted the relative lack of media attention towards the roughly 710 indigenous people that were reported missing in Wyoming between 2011 and 2020. And I mean, that's a massive discussion we could have, but, you know, we do sadly see this all the time and um, certain victims will capture the public's imagination and, and stand more chance of having their crime solved. Nevertheless, with Gabby and Brian still missing, the police had to move quickly to regain control of the investigation. After obtaining emergency search warrants, police seized Gabby's Ford Transit van, an external hard drive and the laundry's family Ford Mustang from their house, and all of this was taken in for forensic examination. 
Meanwhile, the physical hunt for Gabby and Brian was expanding and growing in size and scope by the day. The search for the couple was so widespread that it even led to the discovery of an astonishing five bodies of other recorded missing persons. That's how big this was, that there were five other people who had gone missing, presumed dead, and their bodies were found in the course of the search for Gabby and Brian. This was huge. Thanks to the fierce and ongoing media interest in the case, the police were never short of leads and several very credible eyewitnesses came forward and provided detectives with crucial information. One witness claimed that at around lunchtime on August 27th, so that's two days after Gabby had gone missing, she'd actually seen Brian and Gabby together at a Mexican restaurant in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. According to this witness, Brian had flown into an aggressive rage during an argument with a restaurant manager in a dispute about the bill and was then asked to leave. The witness said she later saw Gabby return to the restaurant crying and apologising for Brian's behaviour. And restaurant staff confirmed via Instagram that the couple had indeed been at the restaurant and that the sighting was deemed genuine by police. So police, police had been in touch with them and verified that as a pretty accurate sighting. Another witness contacted the FBI and reported the activities and coordinates of a slow-moving white van and a young man who matched Brian's description acting weird near the Spread Creek camping area in Wyoming on around the 27th of August. The witness found the man's behaviour so out of the ordinary that she posted a video to TikTok with her observations. And uh, she, basically her account was further validated by another separate report by another witness who claimed to have picked up Brian Laundrie as he hitchhiked alone in the same area of Spread Creek. And they reflected that he appeared to be highly agitated and unsettled. And eventually he abruptly left the vehicle before promptly vanishing into thin air. The FBI was so intrigued by these witness accounts that they immediately refocused their search efforts on the area of Spread Creek where these two sightings of Brian had taken place. And it was during this particular search on September the 19th that everyone's worst fears were finally realised. Police officers searching for Gabby in areas of the Spread Creek camping area where they suspected she may have vanished stumbled upon human remains which matched Gabby's physical description not far from the location where the Ford Transit was previously observed by those two witnesses. The remains were soon sadly confirmed to be that of Gabby Petito and an autopsy determined that the cause of her death had been homicide by blunt force injuries to the head and neck with manual strangulation which were estimated to have occurred three to four weeks before the body was found. Brian Laundry was still a missing person at this point and considered by police as a person of interest in Gabby's murder now. However, somewhat bizarrely, even after Gabby was found to have been murdered, the police did not state that he was wanted in connection with her murder. An arrest warrant was issued for him, but that was only for the offence of using Gabby's credit card to take $1,000 from her account without proper authorization between August 30th and September 1st. Nevertheless, the authorities intensified their efforts to locate him and publicly urged him to turn himself in and answer crucial questions that would hopefully offer Gabby's family, the police and the millions of people following this story from all over the world some closure. The search for Brian went on for many weeks and the media attention in the ongoing case only became more intense. Thousands of individuals from the web sleuthing community, which we've referred to, uh, fed the police with possible locations of where Brian may be hiding, but unfortunately in this instance, none of these leads amounted to much. The Laundry family's outright refusal to answer burning questions about Brian's involvement in the murder, as well as his whereabouts, sparked worldwide outrage. Certain that the family were keeping Brian's location a secret, hundreds of protesters amassed once more outside the Laundry home to demonstrate their frustration at the lack of the family's cooperation, and they demanded that the family give up their son and allow Gabby and her family to get some kind of justice. On October the 5th, probably due to the intense pressure that was building up against the Laundry family, Brian's sister gave an interview with ABC News in which she publicly appealed to her brother to do the right thing and turn himself into the authorities. Two days later, Brian's father emerged from the home and joined investigators searching for his son at the Marby Carlton Reserve in Florida. 
At one point during the heavily publicised manhunt for Brian Laundrie, even Dog the Bounty Hunter, he of American TV fame, the guy that tracks down American fugitives, he offered his services to the police. It was that high profile. And countless hundreds of volunteers searched national parks, nature reserves and forested areas where Brian may have been holed up. But as the days turned to weeks, most of the searches came to nothing. At least that was the case until October the 20th in 2021 when the manhunt for Brian Laundrie came to a somewhat predictable end. Yeah, I remember not being particularly surprised at this point. Yeah, it was. I think, you know, it was inevitable, wasn't it? We, we all know that this was going to be the outcome. Of course, it could have been the case that Brian was uh, hiding out somewhere. But I think when his father joined the search, this family had really closed ranks to protect their son. And now his father was desperately looking for him. I think maybe that father's instincts kicked in and, and he realised that maybe we're searching for a body now. Um, so yeah, sad end. And again, goes back to, to what we're talking about on, on our episode on Adam's show, uh, which you can listen to now, uh, where we're talking about when, when bad stuff happens to bad people and, um, you know, Brian is responsible for Gabby's murder, whatever the circumstances were. And, um, he has now taken his own life and that's incredibly sad, but there is that element of context here, um, that, that this is a bad person. And some people will see this as an element of justice. Some will see it as an injustice, but it's, um, it's a, a tricky subject, isn't it? To navigate and one that I know our listeners really have an opinion on. I, I also wonder how Brian's family would feel. And they'd wonder about how some of the actions they'd taken, if that maybe contributed to Brian taking his own life. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, they're grieving for a son, uh, absolutely. So, um, But they've also tried to protect him in their own way. And that could have done more damage. aspects of this. Would you rather your son, this happens, or, or that your son's in prison? It's quite a hard one, isn't it? Because you want to protect your children. And I wonder, I do wonder how much he told his parents and whether they were fully in the know. And then, yeah, what what would they have, you know, what outcome could they have even wanted to be the right one for them and their family? Who knows? Yeah, either way, they were going to lose a son. So, um, so yeah, this uh, this search on, on October the 20th um, basically resulted in, in police searching an area of, Beth, and you're going to have to say this for me. I just can't. Oh, okay. Mayakahatchee. Perfect. Creek Environmental Park that had been previously, uh, been previously inaccessible due to severe flooding. Um, and, and it was here that they discovered a badly decomposed skeleton. And forensic dentist, dentistry did confirm that this was a body of Brian Laundrie. However, he was so badly decomposed that pathologists initially found it impossible to determine a cause of death here. Several items belonging to Brian, including a journal, which he took everywhere and wrote in every day, were also recovered from the same area and sent off for forensic examination. Brian's remains were handed over to an expert for a deeper examination, and a month later, it was announced that Brian had died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, and therefore determined that the manner of death was suicide, which we all knew to be the case. Just a few weeks ago, on January the 21st this year, 2022, 2022, the FBI revealed to the media that they had conducted a thorough examination of Brian's journal and had found that in his own writing he had admitted to killing Gabby, then had attempted to cover his tracks by using her phone to text people so it would appear that she was still alive, so those texts that went to her mum. Brian Laundrie was officially blamed for Gabby's murder by the FBI, who then closed the case, summarising to the media that the investigation did not identify any other individuals other than Brian Laundrie directly involved in the tragic death of Gabby Petito. The FBI's primary focus throughout the investigation was to bring justice to Gabby and her family. In the aftermath of the tragedy, Gabby's family set up the Gabby Petito Foundation, a registered charity that aims to address the needs of organisations that support locating missing persons and to provide aid to organisations that assist victims of domestic violence situations through education, awareness and prevention strategies. On the website, Gabby's family have expressed that we wish to turn our personal tragedy into a positive. It is our hope that Gabby's Foundation will bring these important issues into the forefront of the public eye to the benefit of all of our communities. 
The criminal investigation into Brian Laundrie's unlawful killing of his girlfriend Gabby Petito may be officially closed, but the debate over the Moab County Police Department's questionable handling of the case is still ongoing. Indeed, the strong majority of social media commentary places the full weight of blame directly on the two police officers who conducted that traffic stop on Gabby and Brian's van, who, according to those who have viewed the body cam footage, had a golden opportunity to save a vulnerable young woman's life, but chose not to. I struggle with that a little bit. You don't place the full weight of blame on the police officers. The full weight of blame goes on to Brian, right? Because he's the one that killed them. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to, to put some blame on, on those officers with hindsight. I think that's quite fair to apportion some blame, but they can't have known what was going to happen. And yeah, the, the person who is responsible for this is Brian. I think at least they did do something. They separated the pair. They had these two who were answering their question. You know, no matter your personal feelings, when you have to follow certain rules and regulations, potentially these police officers followed it to the letter of what they were supposed to do. There is obviously, as you said before, the flip side where some people believe this was a save on paper ship, paperwork sort of element. So I just don't know. But mm. I, I do wonder how much those police officers are absolutely beating themselves up. Yeah, I'm sure they how are. How many times a police officer has gone to a domestic and has thought that they've left a situation that's not that volatile, and then they hear on the radio the next call is a murder. That was that number. I mean, how you would go to work the next day knowing that, I just, I can't work it out. I think the police can't win sometimes. They can be accused of overreacting and, and underreacting in equal measure. So, um, But yeah, lots of people did, did criticise them. So one criminal profiler from the UK commented that coercive control was clearly a factor in this relationship and that watching the police body cam footage was, quote, like watching a murder in slow motion, utterly preventable. I don't agree with that. I think it's easy to go with that kind of headline grabbing quote. Um, I don't think it's like watching a murder in slow motion. But yeah, alarm bells would ring and the police did take some action, albeit they could have perhaps done more. And he said that in his opinion, quote, Brian was behaving in a way that was insidious, controlling and manipulative, not just to Gabby, but to the police officers. Even though there were independent witnesses who called 911 to report that Brian had slapped Gabby and even when Gabby literally told the officers outright that she'd been assaulted by Brian and showed the officers her physical injuries, they still opted to pass the whole thing off as a simple mental health breakdown by Gabby rather than a domestic incident. But I think that it's just, you know, that is people are going to have their opinions on this. And I think it's such a cliche, but it is so easy to look at this with hindsight with what we know went on to happen. And the police, I think, could have been accused of overreacting if if um, if they did overreact. And, and this didn't ultimately end in tragedy for this this pair. Um, but regardless of, of the police's involvement and whether you believe they should have done a bit more or, or perhaps acted in the right way, you know, we need to remember Gabby here and she was a victim of, she was a victim of domestic abuse and and a violent death and um, her life was snuffed out and it's just tragic. If you look at her Instagram account, you'll really see this wonderful human being that, that could have contributed so much in life had she been given the chance. So that's it, a very, um, very sad episode, a, a tragic tale. And um, yeah, there we go. Well, there we go. Yeah, we. you don't like to end on a happy note, do you, Mark? No, I never do. Do you do that, Adam? <laughs> what, in life generally or just the podcast? Um, well, I usually end with my uplifting catchphrase, which you both did for me this week. Stay classy. It, it's difficult because like this case here, as you've just said it's it's the most terrible case it's had that wide-reaching effects of course poor Gabby and then Brian are both dead but it's the effects on their families their friends for years and years to come and then the police officers one point I just want to make quickly is so the FBI closed the case um but what always sometimes gets me is I find myself googling for more information on everything I'm sure you do as well particularly when it's a cause of death and it's not and it's mm. not and it's not said and I've got a slightly different view to most people. I, I think privacy is dead. Okay, that's my personal view with social media. I think there's no such thing as privacy anymore. Loads of people disagree with me, of course. But how can the FBI then disclose the case after appealing for um, information for this time and not, for example, reveal the contents of Brian's diary? That hasn't been revealed, has it, as far as I understand? I think you can't, I think you need to, just my personal opinion, I think we should be sharing even more. 
Yeah, I can see that. I think people are so invested in this case and people have come forward and we almost have a, a right to, to have a full picture of it. So um, again, we we might see changes to that in, in time now that we see this huge traction that builds up because of social media. Things like TikTok being used by witnesses or alleged witnesses in this is just that that to me is crazy to think, but actually... I understand and those videos can go viral and and people uh, more people will see them and and come forward potentially as well so it's just a crazy world this is a heavy heavy case and um, social media plays a massive part in this and and behaviors of not just uh, the victim but also the perpetrator and and those that followed the case as well I think the fact that Gabby's Instagram now has 1.2 million followers something she could have only dreamt of in in her life uh, is almost a sad indictment of um, of where we are. So, so there we go. Thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week with another case. In the meantime, do check us out on Adam's show. It's the weekly UK true crime podcast. You'll find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And Bethan and I can't recommend it enough. We're huge fans, so uh, do do check Adam's show out. Please do do head over there. Can I just say? Can I just say one more thing before I go? Thank you very much, Beth and Mark. Yeah. And, and Mark, I've got one special thing to say to you. Fuck off, Mark. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>